I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Press Review, the show in which we look through the newspapers, we scour the internet and we find the latest Arsenal-related stories and react to them. That's what we're going to be doing right here. We're going to be reacting to links with a couple of strikers that we know pretty well, having played in the Premier League for a long time. We're also going to be discussing Edu's comments, which he gave to ESPN Brazil about what the future holds for Arsenal and what the summer transfer plans look like. And uh, we'll be talking about a link in the Italian press with a striker that we've talked about a little bit on this show, but he's one that I don't really think uh, many people are confident of us getting. But anyway, we're going to get into all of that on this edition of the show. I want to say a big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat because there are loads of you already, which is fantastic. Thank you all so much and thank you for being patient while you're waiting for the stream to begin. If you were celebrating Easter yesterday, um, Happy Easter to you guys. I know I have eaten way too much lamb and uh, and I'm suffering for it today. I just feel really lethargic and really sluggish and my throat is still recovering from uh, Wednesday night at Stamford Bridge, followed by, of course, the victory at Emirates Stadium on Saturday and all the work I had to do in between uh, those two games. So if I'm sounding a little bit croaky, that is why. Uh, let's say a few uh, hello specifically. Let's say hello to Graham, uh, to Sam, who says, in here before everyone says it, Granite F in Jacker. <laughs> Love it. Uh, big hello to Trevor. Uh, big hello to John, who said, how come we haven't had a 90 min show in ages, Harry. I'll just quickly touch on this because a few of you have asked me on Twitter and stuff over the last sort of 24 hours. So the 90 Min show hasn't gone anywhere. What's what's simply happened is that it's just been um, a, a short period where a lot of people um, that are key to the show, so not just in front of the camera, but behind it as well, um, have been away. They've been away on holiday and there's not um, been cover because a lot of people are on holiday at the moment. And so that's why there were no shows last week or today. But we'll be back ASAP, I can promise you. Um, big hello to Graham Cordwell, to BX Gunner, to The Wandering Minstrel, to Femi, to Olweni, uh, to Julian, to Saswat, to Trevor, to Clem Diggity, um, to Alex, to Des, to Martin, to Pavel, um, to Matt. Uh, who else we got? Lots, so many of you in there. Uh, Donald, CHSS fans, Ollie, thank you all. Uh, so, so much for being with us today. Okay, let's get into it then. And let's start off with the Gabriel Jesus stuff. Now, there have been multiple reports doing the rounds of late that Arsenal are interested in the Manchester City striker. Gabriel Jesus um, is somebody who looks likely to leave Manchester City, particularly if you're to believe the reports saying that they're closing in on the signing of Erling Haaland as well. Um, that would kind of sort of show, wouldn't it, that that perhaps Gabriel Jesus is somebody that Manchester City would be actually quite happy to let move on. Now, when he was signed, he was brought in as the new Sergio Aguero. That's the way it was portrayed by the media. And a lot of people looked at him when he came in and he started scoring goals straight off the bat and was very, very impressive as somebody that could replace the Argentine in the long term. And it hasn't really worked um, for Gabriel Jesus at Manchester City. That's not to say he's had a bad time there. It's just I think things have changed um, in the last sort of, I would say, 18 months, perhaps a little bit longer, where Pep Guardiola has sort of reverted away from playing with a traditional number nine. He plays with the false nine and Gabriel Jesus at times um, has at times been, you know, asked to play on the right, has been asked to play on the left, has been asked to play in the hole in behind, or if he does play as a number nine, it's not as an out-and-out striker. And I think he's just got a little bit lost in um, in the whole sort of tactical transition, uh, the whole tactical evolution, I guess, that you could call it, uh, at Manchester City in recent times. Somebody rightly points out uh, in the chat um, that it's pronounced Jesus, not Jesus, because it's Portuguese. I think you're right. Um, but I always get that confused because I, I think about it and I used to think of like, let's say, a Spanish player, Jesus Navas, uh, where it is pronounced like that. And then I, I find it 
confusing sometimes and don't manage to switch over between the two. But I think you're right. It is Jesus, uh, because I'm pretty certain that that is the Portuguese uh, pronunciation of his name. So you're right to point that out. Okay, so what do I think about this? Well, the report is not from a particularly reliable source. Let's be honest. When I saw the report come out, it came out from a journalist who or someone that was labeled as a journalist who, when I clicked on them, it took me to a YouTube channel. Uh, and I thought, okay, um, you know, I'm not knocking YouTubers. It's what I do, but it wasn't like a, a, a David Ornstein equivalent. It wasn't a correspondent from one of the big sort of media outlets in South America. It was from a YouTuber, which made me a little bit skeptical at first. And then I saw the athletic with David Ornstein come out and report it too. Now, they don't report it as their story. They don't try to take any credit for it. They also don't try to add any sort of validity to it by, um, you know, capturing the story or quoting the story that's been put out by somebody else. But they do report it. And I think that that, for me, is um, either The Athletic are going down the road of we need more clicks, let's uh, report something, even if we don't really trust it, even if we don't really believe it, or they feel or have had an indication that there is something more to this and that there is something in this particular rumour. Now, as the rumour goes, Arsenal are looking at the player. Obviously, he's a player that Mikel Arteta knows. Obviously, he's a player that knows Mikel Arteta. And according to the report, his representatives have held discussions with Edu over the last few months. Now, there was some other bits and pieces going around that were sort of pushing things as far as saying that Arsenal had agreed a fee with Manchester City and all of this. But from the digging I've been doing, it doesn't seem that it's gone any further than those initial discussions um, at this point. So Arsenal, it appears, have an interest in the Manchester City striker. But is it a deal that they're going to be able to get over the line? I don't know. Now, Gabriel Jesus, um, I think, is somebody who probably needs a fresh start, needs a bit of a reset. I think he's proven that he can score goals and he proved it again, didn't he, at the weekend uh, in Manchester City's game where he was really, really good. Um, you know, he, he, I think throughout his Manchester City career, he's shown that he can score goals. And I'm just going to bring up some of the numbers now to kind of break it down a little bit more. Um, you're talking about, for example, this weekend, um, he managed four goals and an assist. I know it was against Watford, but it's four goals and an assist. Got a goal in the game against Liverpool as well. Big goal. Um, when you look at his Premier League record this season, I know that's been stat padded a little bit by the fact that he scored four against Watford, but he's managed seven goals and nine assists in 24 appearances. And when you think of how many of those appearances have been from the substitutes bench, that, that reads quite well, doesn't it? If you look at his Manchester City record overall, then that will probably give you a better indication. 230 games for the club, 93 goals and 46 assists. So you're talking about 139 direct goal contributions in 230 matches. Again, that's very, very respectable. Um, he's also managed 19 goals in the Champions League for the club and he's managed 18 goals for the Brazilian senior side as well. So this is not a rookie striker. This is not somebody that I think would represent a huge gamble. This is somebody who I think will come in and and give us something up top. He's 25 years old, feels like the right age profile in the sense of he's not an inexperienced kid trying to find his way. He's experienced success. He's been in one of the most successful teams the Premier League has ever seen under one of the best coaches the game has ever seen. Um, so he's not somebody that is is raw. He's not somebody that you look at and think, well, there's still a bit of work to be done with this lad. No, this is somebody I look at and think could come into the side and impact straight away. Now, what are Manchester City going to want from in terms of money? Well, according to Transfer Mark, and I know that their transfer valuations are not always the gospel. You're looking at around about £45 million for Gabriel Jesus. I think that with Manchester City seemingly moving to bring in Erling Haaland, I think that you could probably get him a little bit cheaper. And I know people say this isn't a thing, but I really do believe that Mikel Arteta's connection uh, with the club, his relationship with Pep Guardiola and the hierarchy over at Eastlands could play a big part in this and could help us get this deal done, particularly if Jesus, who has remained really, really patient um, with, with what's happening at City and the fact that he's not been playing week in, week out, I think if he pushes for it too, I think this is the deal 
that very much could be done. So when I talk about strikers, and I've talked a lot about strikers, haven't I, over the last you know few months, ever since January, really, when we allowed um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to leave the club, I've got like a little bit of a tick list that I, I, I tend to go through. What is it that I need from the striker that comes in? Well, I want someone who's mobile, and I think that Gabriel Jesus is that. I think we've seen that more when he's played from the right-hand side. I want someone who's tricky. I want someone who comes alive inside the box, who can act like a bit of a poacher. And Gabriel Jesus certainly does that. Can he head the ball? Yes, he can. Is he the biggest and most physical and most powerful forward out there? No. Um, so that's where he maybe falls a little bit down for me in terms of what I personally want to see arrive at the club. But he does offer a threat in behind and he does tick most of my other boxes. Add to that the Premier League experience that you don't get in somebody like Darwin Nunez. And I think that if this opportunity was to present itself this summer, this would be a smart and a shrewd move uh, from Arsenal. Plus, we'd have uh, another Gabriel in the side. It would be our third one. That Brazilian connection forming and developing. I mean, look, I, I would back this deal. I really would. I think that initially, um, and, and I remember Mike Stavrou brought this up on a podcast that we did last month when we talked about how we should spend, or if we were in charge, how we would spend Arsenal's transfer budget. He was quite big on the whole Jesus thing. He thought him, him a good option. Uh, he thought him someone that could come in and instantly impact the side and someone that was attainable given what's going on at Manchester City, given the way the land lays there. So at the time, I wasn't totally sort of convinced that this was achievable. But with these reports coming out, gives you a little bit more confidence that the player is A, wanting to move away, B, Manchester City are happy for him to go, and C, that his relationship with Edu and Mikel Arteta um, and that Brazilian connection and Arteta's then relationship sort of back with Manchester City could facilitate this type of move. And this would be an example of where these relationships and people using their connections could work to our benefit. I mean, we look back at some of the transfers that we've made since Edu came in and we've talked about him, you know, going down the Kia Jurabshan route, going for players represented by Kia Jurabshan because of their relationship and their, their sort of history working with one another. But actually, there will be instances where this really helps. It didn't help us. Um, with Willian, for example, because that signing proved that it didn't work, uh, or sorry, proved to be wrong, proved to be incorrect. You could argue, I guess, that the relationship with with Willian and Jurabshan helped Arsenal to terminate his contract in the way that they did, and and him to move on without sort of sitting around stinking up the place and collecting the rest of his contract. So perhaps you could argue in that sense that even though we didn't get the benefit that we wanted out of it. Perhaps there was a benefit in that relationship, in the way that we managed to move him on so quickly and without much drama. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, sometimes these connections, sometimes these relationships, they do have their positives. There will be times where you get it wrong, but that's in general in the transfer market. And I actually thought that at the time we were making maybe a little bit too much of that Jurabshan Edu connection. And, you know, if it gives us the opportunity somewhere along the line, not Edu and Jurabshan specifically, but Arteta's relationship in this instance with Manchester City or Edu's ability to communicate with um, Jesus's representatives because of that Brazilian connection. It could be something that we could take advantage of. So, yeah, I I'd be up for this. I really, really would. Um, and again, at 25 years old, you, you don't really begrudge, do you, going and paying, even if you need to pay 50 million plus for the player. You wouldn't look at it and go, well, he's 29, he's sort of had a few injury problems and there's question marks as to how long he can maintain this level. That's not the issue here with Gabriel Jesus. He's someone who I think, as I say, could come in and impact this team and take it to another level quickly. I think he's well equipped to play the high pressing game that we do. Um, I think he's he's got a good footballing brain and he's got a lot of intelligence and could drop into those holes when you need him to as well. I'd be excited by the prospect of him linking up with Saka Smith Rowe, Martinelli, etc., etc. So yeah, there's um there's lots of positives here. And um and it's a deal that I'd like to see us do. Another striker that we're being linked with today, um, which I'm not gonna go into this one too much because I don't really feel that there's too much in this. Um, but is is Napoli's Victor Osimen. Now, according to Gazetta della Sport over in Italy, who let's be honest, are not the most um, reliable outlet, they claim 
that Arsenal have taken steps uh, to try and sign the Nigerian player, who's, of course, 23. Good striker, lots of ability. But as I've said to you guys before, I'd be shocked if Napoli were to let Victor Osimhen go without somebody coming in and really blowing them out of the water in terms of the uh, the transfer fee. And I'm just not sure that Arsenal are going to do that. I'm just not sure that Arsenal will look at Victor Osimhen as the man that they want to go and sort of spend a shit ton of money on that. It's not to discredit the player. I think he's a brilliant player. I think he's had a fantastic season with Napoli. Um, and I look forward to seeing how his career develops. But I think, and again, this is just my opinion, that Arsenal will look at Jesus and will consider the things that I've mentioned. The fact that he's proven in the Premier League, the fact that the coach knows him, the fact that negotiations have supposedly already taken place. It feels like... um. It feels like there would be less of a settling in period, therefore less of a risk. And then it's less of a gamble. And then you would feel, wouldn't you, as a football club, more comfortable investing that type of money. Uh, big hello uh, to, I just want to say a quick hello before I lose this comment on the screen because they do constantly update. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? My good friend Vinny. Hey, dear mate. Um, he says, hey, Harry, wicked meeting you the other day. Signing Jesus is a no-brainer, especially for so cheap. He starts for City most weeks for a reason. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him come in. And um, big shout out to Vinny, who came down to the Hippodrome event uh, last week. OK, um, so Victor Osimhen has also been linked, but so has Tammy Abraham again. And um, I'm not going to really focus in too much on Tammy Abraham on this particular episode. If those rumours continue to gather pace, maybe we'll do a bit of a deep dive into Tammy on a full episode and, and try and work out what he would bring to the table. I think he's had a good time in Italy. I think he's having a good time in Rome. Um, I, I wasn't 100% sure about Tammy Abraham the first time we were linked, so prior to him going to Roma. And my big concern was not that Tammy Abraham isn't a good player, or not that he wouldn't contribute or bring something to the squad, but it was that he was owned by Chelsea at the time and we were going to have to really break the bank to get that deal done. And I wasn't sure that he was worth the £60 um, million pounds and upwards sort of price tag that was being rumoured at that point in time. Now, I always said to you guys that Tammy Abraham, if he did choose to go elsewhere, then Chelsea, you'd imagine, would be quite... Um, not happy, but would be, I guess, more open to the idea of accepting a lower fee. That always tends to be the case, right? When you're selling to a rival, you're selling to a club within your league, you will try and whack on that premium. Everybody knows as well that the Premier League clubs financially are in a much stronger position and knows that they can afford to pay more. If an Italian club comes knocking and you can't shift them to an English-based club, then the chances are you're going to be quite understanding and, and I guess you're going to have to be understanding of the fact that you're not going to get the same transfer fee. So I never felt like Tammy Abraham was um, was someone that we were realistically going to go for. And I never felt that Tammy Abraham was someone that we could get on the cheap. I always felt we were going to have to, as I say, pay over the top. And I didn't think Arsenal uh, would do that. And it proved right. They didn't. They didn't decide to make that move. The other bit that I want to talk about today on today's edition of the Press Review, and then we're going to take some of your questions um, in the live chat box. Um, we've got another episode dropping later on today as well. We're going to be live again at 5pm UK time in which I'm going to tackle a lot of your questions that you've been sending over to me via Twitter this morning, as well as some from the live chat. But the other point I just wanted to touch on before we go into the chat box here is the comments that Edu has made to ESPN Brazil. Now, I'm not going to quote him. I'm sure you've all seen, read the quotes floating around the internet over the last few days. But he sort of hinted, didn't he, that we're only looking now to bring in, what, two, maximum, maybe three players in in the summer as part of the rebalancing of the squad. Now, I've referred to this interview in particular a lot lately, and I'm talking about that interview that Edu gave at the start of the season where he spoke about the need to have a mass recruitment drive, bring people in, in the way we did last summer, six, seven players, and then move people out in the way that we have been doing over the last 18 months in order to, as I say, rebalance the squad and put us back in a position where we don't need six or seven additions moving forward every summer. Now, Edu says two or three players in the summer. Now, listen, 
I'd be quite happy for it to be two players if they were world-class players. But the other thing you have to consider is that we have really thinned out the squad. And if we are in Europe next season, which I expect us to at least be in Europe now um, after those last two victories at Chelsea and then, of course, at home to United, then we're going to need a bit more strength in depth and we're going to need alternative options. Now, I don't expect many of the players out on loan to return. Um, I think that William Saliba has a chance of returning and coming into the picture. Um, I don't expect Torreira to return. Guendouzi's gone um, pretty much. Um, and, and when you look at some of the others, Hector Bellerin, I don't expect him to come back in either. So for me, we do need to add quality and I'd rather we added quality than quantity. We're almost building in the way that Liverpool did, right? Where he stripped it right back. He built a first 11 and a few sort of fringe players around that. And gradually, gradually, gradually over the years, Jurgen Klopp has continued to build that team out. And now they're at the point where they've got incredible strength in depth. We're on that journey and we're trying to do something similar. But I guess why I'm quite happy to be patient is that you would prefer, wouldn't you? I think anyway, and let me know if I'm wrong, to see Arsenal go out and bring in two world-class players than one very good player, one that might explode into something and one that might not. Like It's quality over quantity for me. If we went and got a top, top striker and maybe another top centre midfielder, I'd be quite happy with that if we then bolstered sort of in some of the other areas with with fringe players. Because remember, like we talk a lot and, and a lot of people have been talking about Mohamed Elneny's future off the back of some comments he made, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, where he said, you know, if, if Arsenal want me, I'm happy to stay. I'm happy to sign a new contract. Of course you bloody are, Mohamed, um, because you are a player who recognises and has always valued the fact that you're playing for a really big club, even if you're not first choice. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that this is the right way to go about it. You know, if we have got, let's, let's say for argument's sake, 120 million pound transfer budget this summer, let's just say, and I don't know this, then you'd be quite happy, wouldn't you, to go 60 million on a striker, 60 million on a midfielder or 70 million on a striker, uh, 50 million on a midfielder and do it properly. You know, we need to do it properly. We need to build properly. And this is why all along, a lot of people have been quite patient and have been quite understanding of the predicament that Mikel Arteta and Edu face, of the challenges that they face. Because this type of complete rebuild, unless you're going to go and throw three, four hundred million pounds at it over the course of a couple of windows, it takes time. It takes time. And I think we've seen a lot this season to be encouraged by. I think that we're in a really strong position now to finish in the top four off the back of those results and the result that we saw at Brentford as well, where Tottenham dropped another couple of points. You know, we, we still might not make it. There's still a lot to play for. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I do feel there's been a lot of progress. I do feel that we've closed the gap. I do feel that we're moving in the right direction. And even when the quality's lacking a little bit and even when the composure's missing a little bit, like we saw at times, against Manchester United this weekend, the spirit that is being created there, the bond that is being built between the fans and the players and um, the bond that is there clearly between Mikel Arteta and his team is sometimes enough to get us over the line in those really difficult moments. And there was one little clip, I think, that they showed on Match of the Day um, where Arteta and Elneny were sort of walking off the pitch on Saturday with, you know, Arteta had his arm around Elneny and the two were sharing a laugh and a joke. And that didn't look like to me a player in Mohamed Elneny who was despondent by the fact that he's not in the team regularly or a player that isn't bought in or isn't invested into what Mikel Arteta and Arsenal are doing. So when you think about that, um, you know, it just goes to show, doesn't it? When people say he's lost the dressing room and he hasn't got the respect of the players, it's complete and utter nonsense. The players that didn't buy in, the players that, as Mikel would say, aren't on the ship, they've been booted out of the club and they're no longer here. So for me, um, it's encouraging to see um, that Arsenal are sticking to the plan that they put in place earlier on. And and as I keep saying, that interview that Edu gave at the start of the season, it said this, didn't it? That hopefully we'd be in a position next summer where we don't need to add six or seven. We can add two or three players 
of a much higher calibre that are going to help the team move to another level. Now, I don't actually think that Arsenal are only going to add two or three players, but I think you'll probably get two or three sort of big money signings and a couple of squad signings. I think that's probably more likely. So I'm expecting a busy summer again. Um, but when people talk about the process and when people talk about whether we can trust the process or whether we should trust the process and that January was was a big mistake in that we you know, opted not to sign out of panic and that perhaps that that was going to bite us in the arse and that might cost us. I get all of that. And there is obviously an element of risk to the way that we decided to sort of go through January without really bringing anybody in. But what I would say is when you're asking me or you're trying to sell a process to me, the fact that the people that are implementing it and that have put it in place are not veering away from it at the first sign of danger every single time. That gives me more faith in the project and more faith in the process, if you like. If if something is, um, if you do something and you're sure about it, like if you map out a plan, if you come up with your methodology and you really believe in that methodology, then stick to it. I want to see you stick to it. And then when the end of that period comes, if you've not achieved your objectives, if you've not achieved your goals, then we can have a conversation about it. But there's no point in planning something in such great detail and working something out only to at the first sign of panic, um, sort of rip it up, throw it out the window and go and do something that completely contradicts it. So I don't know about you guys, but as I say, the fact that we seem to be sticking to what was originally communicated to us gives me more encouragement that these guys are in it for the long haul that they do really believe in what they're doing and i think that we're um we're seeing quite a bit of um quite a bit of progress i gotta say let's take some of your questions then let's take some of your thoughts uh, from the live chat uh, we're going to take a short pause in just a second but before i do that if i could just remind you please do um, hit that like button if you haven't done so already. Uh, there are over, and I'll tell you exactly now uh, while my page refreshes, there are over 350 of you with us live right now on YouTube alone, but we've only got 62 likes on the board. Let's get up to 100 ASAP. And if you're not subscribed to the channel, please do subscribe by clicking on the button below because we are at now just a couple of hundred subscribers away from hitting that 20k mark that we wanted to get to by the end of the season. And I did say that whilst I'm going to be giving away an Arsenal shirt for next season at the end of the season, I would give away two if uh, we get to 20k before the season's out. So please do hit that subscribe button. Quick update as well on football prizes. Uh, our partners who are currently uh, raffling off that Emil Smith-Rowe um, signed and framed Arsenal shirt. Well, that one is sold out. I did tell you guys the other day that if you didn't get your tickets quick um, that you could miss out on that but for those of you that did enter good luck and uh, wish you all the best in that one okay um, let's take that short pause and then we'll be back to take some of your questions from the live chat okay welcome back to the chronicles of Aguna the Arsenal podcast part of the 90 min football network and as ever I'm your host, Harry Simu. We're going to be taking some of your questions and thoughts for the last sort of 15, uh, 20 minutes of this show. OK, uh, let's see uh, what we've got. And th this is not a question, but this is a comment, which I actually think is a really interesting one. So I wanted to bring this up from Sam Tonks. Hope you're well, mate. I hope all is good. Uh, he says the difference with Nketiah up top to Laka has been massive. He actually moves in behind. Jack is back in at centre midfield, bossing games. Arteta got it bang on when it mattered. Yeah, and listen, I'm I'm of the opinion, and I'm still of the opinion that he got it horribly wrong against Brighton. And um, you know, you can be supportive of someone and you can follow someone and back someone without agreeing with every single decision they make in isolation. I mean, how many of you got have you got relatives that you love but you think can be absolute idiots at times? We all do. Um, you know, so that's just part and parcel of it, right? It doesn't have to be, well, he got it wrong against Brighton, so now I don't back him at all and I'm never going to support him and I'm not going to support the team and I hope we fail so that he gets sacked. Like It doesn't have to be that, right? But we can all acknowledge that he got it wrong. And I think you're right in that Eddie Nketiah has just given us a little bit more up top in, in the sense of mobility. Now, I still think when it comes to hold-up play, 
and link up play that Lacazette is better in that sense. Um, obviously, he's lost his place in the team. And at this moment in time, I don't see any reason for him to come back in the side because I think Eddie's given a really good account of himself at Chelsea. I thought it was brilliant. Not so good at Southampton, although he worked hard and he worked the channels, but nobody was really particularly good on that day. Um, but he gave a great account of himself at Chelsea, got a couple of big goals, um, you know, contributed again, I thought, this weekend. So there's no reason why he shouldn't stay in the team. And um, and, and I want to see Arteta stick to his guns there and continue with him. Uh, Saswat says, our drop in quality, um, and there has been a bit of a drop in quality in certain areas, you, you have to say, is due to our lacking in quantity to provide rest and rotation for our quality players. A 24-25 man squad of decent quality is what we need to stabilise for, then push on next year. Um, John Daly says, I can see us getting three extra players in max, but if we sell Pepe, Leno and Maitland-Niles, then they will be replaced. But that's not included in the three new extra signings with Marie going. He's got uh, Saliba can come in and take his place. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Alex asks, Jesus, Abraham or Ivan Tony, who would you pick for Arsenal? I would pick of those options, Gabriel Jesus, myself. Um, Tammy Abraham is a player I like who gives a lot of those things that I keep banging on about, the threat in behind, the mobility. He's got that physical presence that perhaps Gabriel Jesus doesn't, but he's not as clinical for me as Gabriel Jesus when playing regularly. So I, I lean towards the Brazilian there. Ivan Tony is a funny one because he started the season like an absolute house on fire, really, really dropped off in terms of his performances. And then when Christian Eriksen came in at Brentford, it's like he's found a new lease of life. And he's, he's sort of hit form again. But I want to see Ivan Tony do it for another season where he's a little bit more consistent and his performances don't go off the side of the cliff in the way that I believe they have done um, sort of in the middle part of this season. So I'm still leaning towards Jesus of those three. Uh, what else have we got? Big hello to Snipe.Genius. Uh, John says, is Tommy Cafu starting now? He's back. It's going to be interesting to see, isn't it? Because... I think that having him back in the side, I talked about it in the post-match reaction show, just gives us that little bit more stability because it then means you can push Tavares on in Kieran Tierney's absence so that he doesn't get exposed doing the things that he's not so good at. Um, and we can shuffle into that back three a little bit more frequently. I would bring him back, of course, but the other thing you've got to think about is it was just a brief cameo appearance against Manchester United. He's going to have an, a whole nother week of training now and hopefully he can get himself up to speed where he starts at West Ham. I want him back in the side because I don't think we can afford to have both of our second choice fullbacks playing week in, week out and continue to get away with it. But you have to give a shout out to Cedric, who, although he had some shaky moments, as did others on Saturday, has, has been a, a really solid deputy of late. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Sam says, what was it like at the Emirates after Xhaka scored? It looked like a real changing moment. For his Arsenal career, his Tribune interview was amazing. Hope everyone can appreciate him. Look, for me, I've you guys will know that watch and listen to this. I've I've backed him a lot because I've never felt that the criticism he gets has been has been justified. I think that some of the criticism is fair, as I would say with any player um, that that has at times sort of self-destructed and had silly moments. But I think overall, he brings far more positives to this Arsenal side than negatives. And for me, as I was saying on the post-match show, if there was anyone I could have hand-picked to score a goal like that of incredible quality, but also one of huge significance, then it would have been Granit Xhaka. It's really interesting because in that player's Tribune piece, he talks quite a bit, doesn't he, about how like he knows where the fans were that abused him. He, he knows that um, there are certain parts of the ground where he just prefers not to look. And I actually thought it was really interesting because... I probably wouldn't have noticed this if I didn't watch that interview. I And I was in that corner of the North Bank where he ran over to celebrate. And I'm sure lots of you saw those pictures going around of me losing my mind in the crowd. Um, but I thought it was interesting because the whole time, I don't even think Granit Xhaka was looking at the crowd. I think he was looking up at his family who sit in a box just behind where I am. Um, and uh, and I think he was focused on them as well. But certainly it done him the world of good in terms of endearing him to the fans again. And it's great to see. 
Uh, big hello to Matt G. Hope you're well, mate. Um, good to see you in the chat as always. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Nico, I was talking about relatives that are a pain in the backside, but that you still love that problematic Uncle Harry. Eh? <laughs> um, what else have we got? Um, Adam says, do you think Spurs is a harder game to play now than Chelsea or Manchester United was? Yeah, I think because of obviously the fact that we're going to be going into that game in direct competition with them because it's a rivalry, because it's a derby. Um, you know, the Manchester United rivalry has diluted a bit, hasn't it, over years. Chelsea, you know, it's never been the same as the Spurs game, has it? Um, I, I think the Spurs game is going to be really difficult. I really, really do. And I would love it, true Kevin Keegan style, if we could somehow open up a greater advantage over them before that game so as that we can go there. And if we do lose, it doesn't completely derail us in the pursuit of the top four. Now, that's wishful thinking and perhaps I'm being greedy. But I really do think when you look at the fixtures, if we can do the job against West Ham, um, then, of course, you know, they've got Liverpool on the horizon. And and yesterday I was watching that Merseyside derby and I was sitting there sort of with the family and we were watching it. And um, and listen, I'd prefer Manchester City to win the league. I would. But there was a part of me yesterday that was looking at Liverpool and thinking, we want you to be in the title race. We want you to still believe that this is on. We want you to still be chasing Manchester City when you play against uh when you play against Tottenham at Anfield. And we don't want you to lose further ground on them at this point. And that game to become a bit of a dead rubber and perhaps we see Jurgen Klopp then turn his focus to the Champions League and the cup competitions, etc. Because, of course, uh, they are on course potentially for a quadruple. So, to me, it was important, actually, that Liverpool won yesterday, even when at times it looked like they weren't going to ever break Everton down. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult game. A uh, big hello to Dino, who says, uh, Harry, hope you and your family had a great Easter. What a great weekend. Um, and to you, mate, I hope you had a good one. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you ate plenty of souvla. I hope you um, had enough meat to last you for a month. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Let's pick up a few more um, of your thoughts and comments. Um, and I beg your pardon if I miss some of them. We've um, the, the, the chat just updates all the time and I do miss uh, some of them. Some of them are similar questions to ones I've already answered on the show. And if you're just joining us late, uh, I'm not going to um, go back over them just for the benefit of those that uh, are listening to this. I'm not going to keep repeating myself, but if you rewind back, you'll be able to, um, you'll be able to check my answers out on those. Uh, Afsar says, uh, Harry, would you give Eddie a big contract? Honestly, mate, no, um, I wouldn't. I think that Eddie Nketiah is someone who has impressed me of late, but it doesn't really change my over, overall um, view on him, my overall thoughts on what his future holds. I, I still think that if Arsenal want to compete at the very top and want to be a Champions League standard team moving forward, we need an upgrade there. Um, and also, just judging by that interview that Eddie gave to the beautiful game last week, which was fantastic, by the way, um, we did a little bit of a reaction piece on that. And you can find the link to the original interview in there. Big shout out to the game, uh, to the guys um, at the beautiful game. Um, I, I just from that, I got the I, I got the, the perspective or I got the kind of a, opinion from him that he isn't someone who. Um, is going to be happy to to sit around and happy to kind of wait for those opportunities to come along. He's at a point in his career now where he probably needs to play week in, week out. And um, and I don't think that as a football club, we're capable of giving him those guarantees just because of what we're doing and the direction we're trying to move in. Uh, so, listen, I, I like him and he's one of our own and he's homegrown and I love all of that and I wish him all the very best. But for me... Um, no, I, I wouldn't give him another contract. I really wouldn't. Um, Salopian Guna 7 says, how much money do you think the club can make from transfers in the summer? Surely none of the remaining dead would have a value of over 10 million. I think that's probably quite accurate. 
I always see this, like I see it quite a bit, um, sort of scrolling through social media. You always get these these breakdowns, don't you, from people of what they think Arsenal should be looking to get for each player in the summer. And it very rarely works out like that. For example, somebody like Hector Bellerin. You know, what is Hector Bellerin worth? He's just won the Copa del Rey as well uh, with Real Betis. Congratulations to them on that victory over Valencia in the final. But, you know, people were talking about 10, 15 million pounds for, for Hector Bellerin. You're not going to get that. You know, it's clear he doesn't want to come back. It's clear that we're not fussed about him leaving. Um, it's clear that Real Betis are not in a financial position where we can uh, sort of look to extract as much as possible from them. And so it's just one of those where you just have to cut your losses and let them go. Listen, a lot of people talk about the, the, the money that we sort of fail to bring in when we do move players on. But a lot of it is about saving on wages as well. I know bringing in transfer fees obviously helps and is important. And if you can do that right in the way that Liverpool have, for example, um, in recent years, you've seen that if you then reinvest it in the right way, like they did in Alisson and Van Dijk, etc. It can then create a platform from which success can be maintained over four, five, six, seven seasons. So, you know, it is important that you get in transfer fees and it's important that you do all of that in the right way. But the point I'm trying to make here is that sometimes you just got to accept that it's not going to be possible and understand that the saving that you're making on wages, although to us as fans doesn't seem significant, can be in the eyes of the club. Uh, big hello to Robert Segal. How you doing, mate? He says, hey, Harry, <laughs> Demon Guna didn't block your view Saturday. Demon Guna, for those of you who don't know, is the absolute legend that's in front of me um, in the picture where you can see me jumping up and down like a madman. Um, no, he's, he's brilliant. Always great to, to chat with him and the boys as well um, about the Arsenal and their, their great company. And um, you could see from that picture, couldn't you, that we both, uh, both enjoyed that moment. I <laughs> uh, hope you're well, Rob. All the best, mate. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Alex, who's had the better season, Xhaka or Partey? Overall, I think you have to say Granite Xhaka. I think that Thomas Partey had a two-month spell before his injury, the recent injury, that is, where he was immense and was playing the best football that he's played in an Arsenal shirt. And he looked world-class every single time he took to the field. But outside of that two, two and a half month period, I don't think that Thomas Partey's always been at his best. I don't think he's always looked fit. I don't think he's always looked sharp enough. He does break down quite frequently with injuries. And that is obviously uh, something that that is a problem. Granite Xhaka, you know, uh, he's picked up one injury this season, if I'm not mistaken. And then, of course, he had that suspension after the sending off at Liverpool. But when he has played, he's been so, so consistent. Um, and, and a lot of people don't want to say that. A lot of people don't want to accept that. A lot of people don't want to admit that. But it's the, it's the fact. It really, really is. Um, we're going to continue through the chat box for a bit longer because there's much more questions uh, coming through than I than I expected. So we'll we'll keep going. There's well over 400 of you with us live now on the stream as well. We've hit 120 likes. If we could get that up to 200, uh, that would be amazing between now and the end of the stream because there's more than enough of you watching. And just a quick reminder that if you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to the channel. Again, we're just uh, around about 200 subscribers away from hitting that 20,000 mark. And when you add that to the amount of people we have subscribed on the audio as well, it's incredible how quickly this community is growing. And I'm so thankful to every single one of you who uh, helped me to continue sort of chasing my dream of, um, or, or living the dream, I guess, of... Um, just talking about football for a living, which is uh, quite cool when you think about it. And believe me, I am grateful. Uh, Carl Stewart says, yes, this was an excellent weekend win by Arsenal, but we all need to keep positive and keep on backing the manager. I think he's doing a great job. Come on, you gunners. From Carl, uh, Des Lynham calls us, cut your losses, FC. Well, sometimes, Des, when the work that's been done prior is that bad, then that's all you can do. You know, you, you can't go back and, and sort of change what's happened. You can't go back and unsign deals that were signed. You can't go back and, um, you know, move, uh, and, and take the decision not to sign some of the bad eggs that we did or players who just didn't work out that we did. But, yeah, um, it's, uh, it's one of those things. You can mock it. You can laugh at it. You can criticise us for it. But just remember who's responsible for the fact that we're now having to cut our losses 
And it's not Mikel Arteta in most of those cases. It's the people that were making those decisions and calling those shots prior to his arrival. And that is another key reason as to why I've been so patient with him. Because I want to be fair in my assessment. Now, with Unai Emery, he was a head coach. That was it. And I was looking at him as a coach. And if you go back to the podcast I did during his time, um, from which I, I copped a lot of criticism for saying maybe a little bit earlier than some others, um, you know, that that he's, he's, he's tactically, he's not quite getting it right, that it's not quite working for Arsenal. It proved to be correct in the long run. And and this is the thing, you know, I, I, I still personally don't get, like moving away from what Dez has said, why a lot of people still go on at me because I was critical of Unai Emery. Well, I was proved right in the end, wasn't I? Not that I'm one. Not that I want to sit here and say, "Look at me, I was right." I I said that he wasn't the right man before you. Blah 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 blah. But when it then is proved right, then I I don't think that I should still get heat about it if that makes sense. And for some reason I do, um, which is weird. What else have we got? Um, what else have we got? Uh, Gary Hundred says. Um, Harry, big up your guy, Arteta. I hope the team get the top four. When the team's down, I criticised him. So I'll big him up now. Yeah, and look, there's nothing wrong with being critical when the team lose. And there's nothing wrong with being critical when the team fail, when the team make bad moves, play bad games. Um, but it's it's about making sure that that criticism, I believe, is directed in the right place and is limited to whatever it is you're being critical about. For example, um, you know, I was very critical of like of the team during that free game run where we lost, obviously at Palace, and obviously then at home to Brighton before that defeat at Southampton. But my criticism, I felt, was directed in the right places. So, i.e., the Crystal Palace game, I felt that was on the players. I didn't feel like we were up for it. I feel like if you wanted to be really critical of Mikel Arteta, you could have said that maybe tactically he should have realised earlier on that we were struggling and, and made a, a slight adjustment in order to counter the fact we were getting dominated in the middle of the park. Brighton, I think, was on Mikel Arteta because he unsettled us. Um, and I, and so after that game, I criticised him. Southampton, I don't really think, was on Mikel Arteta because he picked the exact same team I would have picked. So if I say it is on him, I'm a hypocrite. Um, he picked the right team, in my opinion. But again, we didn't convert our chances. That day, I put it down to finishing. So... I think it's okay to be critical, but I think sometimes we just need to step back and understand that one defeat in isolation or two defeats or three defeats can all be for very different reasons and don't always have to be those same reasons. And and that's how you assess and analyse fairly, in my opinion. You take into consideration all the factors, you break it down calmly, and then you allocate the criticism or the blame, whatever you want to call it. Um, to the right places. FTL Guna says, Harry, are you expecting a full-strength West Ham team given their centre-back situation and the Europa League games? I wondered because David Moyes, from some West Ham fans that I follow, has been criticised for not really rotating enough. And I wondered what he'd do playing against us. But I looked at his team yesterday and he did rotate a little bit, which makes me feel that he'll probably rotate again going into the second leg of that Europa League semi-final. Um, unless the second leg becomes a, a, a non-event based on what happens in the first. I don't know. Let's keep moving uh, through the chat. Um, do, 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 do. <laughs> Sam says, like the video. Yes, like it if you enjoyed Bruno Fernandez's penalty miss. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Matt says, say we signed six players this summer. How many, if any, would you like to already be playing in the Premier League? Um, you'll know from, from previous shows I've done, um, mate, that I'm not obsessed with the idea of someone being Premier League proven. I think it's, it's a, a nice thing. It's a bonus if you can find that. But as I always say, I don't always think you get the right value, um, or as much value when you shop in the Premier League transfer market, just because of the way the prices get bumped up. Um, obviously it's something I'd like. And I think that the more players that you've got, like, I mean, you think about like Ben White, Ramsdale and how easily it's, their transitions have happened or, or how much easier it's been for them than some of the players that have come from overseas. You can understand why people want that, right? But I'm not, um, I'm not like obsessed by it. So honestly, I don't, I don't really care. 
how many of them are, are current Premier League players. As long as they're the right players and the right with the right skill set, with the right attitude, you are going to be a good fit. Then I'm good with that. Let's take a couple more um, of your thoughts. Uh, John Daly says, "Is Saka our number one penalty taker now?" I don't think he'd be the penalty taker if Laka was on the pitch. And I'm not saying that that's right. But I think that, obviously, with Lacazette not being there, um, I think that um, I think that that's opened the door for Saka uh, to step up. And he did step up at Chelsea and he stepped up again against Manchester United. Let's take... Um, I think I'm just going to take one or two more. Um, hey, Harry, long time. Hope you're good. Do you think we can mount a legit Champions League charge with the core we've put together? Do you mean to qualify or do you mean like actually trying to win the competition listen the Champions League is a cup competition um and and anything is possible I don't think we're at elite level yet I don't think that we can talk about that I think it's very premature um but if we're in the competition once you get through the group stages anything can happen you know it is a cup as I say if you get your tactics right if you get your game plan spot on uh Villarreal has shown us that and you have a little bit of luck as well um, then there's no reason why you can't go far in the competition. But we still need more additions. We still need to build out the squad. We still need to um, we still need to do a hell of a lot of work before we're at the point where I feel like we can compete for the game's top top prizes. Okay, I am going to leave it there. Do not fear. We are doing another live show a little bit later on. We're going to be talking a little bit more about Mohamed El Neni in detail. His comments. Uh, we're also going to be taking lots of your questions from the live chat and some of your questions from Twitter as well. So do make sure your notifications are turned on. Come and join me for that. We're still just under 50 likes or so away from that 200 mark. So if you could hit the like button between now and the end of the stream, I'd be most grateful. There's nearly 500 of you watching, so that should be light work. Um, but yeah, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new, and I'll be back later on today uh, for our YouTube viewers the uh, podcast version of that second episode today however will drop first thing tomorrow morning i'll catch you all very very soon until next time take care of yourselves and thanks as always for joining me goodbye i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon.